we know how to write lessons and sermons. We know how to put a smile on our face and we know how to do the duties that we're required to do, but we can do those things without God's power, without His presence in our life. And if you could turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6, please. 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Come to a, an interesting chapter. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we find a story that has good intentions, then ended up not the way as planned, but then something good comes out of it. And that's just how the Lord works. Something good always comes out of something bad that happens in our life. God has a reason for it all. But in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I'll start reading in verse 1, the Bible says, Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new carts, and they brought it out of the house of, of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalm trees and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his households. And it was told King David, saying, the Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they had bared the ark of the Lord, when they, had, when they that bared the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Here we have the story of the Ark of the Covenants trying to be brought back into the capital 
only for something negative to happen along the way. This is the story about the power and the presence, the power in the presence of God. And the question I ask for you today is simply, do you have the presence of God in your life? Lord, thank you for this day, for this message. Father, I need you as I preach what you've given to me. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, communion is a serious thing, something only to be done by those who are saved and those who are living a righteous life, whose lives are holy. And Lord, we endeavor to to search our hearts today and to find out just how we can have you living within us. So God, please just use me as I preach and bless us now we pray in your name. Amen. The Ark of the Covenant is, has been something talked about for many, many years. One question that comes up when you discuss the Ark is where is the Ark of the Covenant today? Archaeology has discovered lots of things over the years. Um, popular movie came out, you know, back in the 70s, the, uh, of trying to find the Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones, you know, trying to, and he eventually finds it. It's myth, it's not real, of course. There's some interesting elements to um, what people have said. A lot of people have traced it down to the Crusades back in that, that era, and uh, some people say it's here. I've heard something recent. I believe the Ark of the Covenant, one of them is actually in one of the Egyptian pyramids. It's uh, hitting under there somewhere in a secret vaulted chamber. That would be pretty cool. I have no idea where these uh, stories come from, but uh, they're kind of fun to read. We don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is today. A lot of people would say God has it up in heaven because we're about to read how sacred and holy it was to God. Uzzah just touched it and God took his life. But what you don't know is what, how did it get, Ark get to that place in the first place? How did it get there? See, the Ark, um, as we consider today the story of the Ark, God made a covenant with the children of Israel through his servant Moses. And uh, the Ark itself was, was created at this time. The Ark of the Covenant was a sacred relic. And back in Samuel's day, actually just a couple of chapters even before this, we see that the Ark of the Covenant was, uh, I guess you could say the children of Israel were about to go to battle against the Philistines. Always the Philistines. They're about to go to battle, and this is before the kings are there. The person in charge is, is uh, Eli, the high priest. But he's getting older in years, and, and his children weren't serving God very faithfully. Well, the Philistines encamped around Israel, and Israel gathered themselves together to go out and fight against Philistines, and they lost. Israel lost. So they, they rally again, maybe the later the next day, and they rally back and say, okay, guys, that strategy didn't work. Uh, we need a new strategy. What are we going to do? And one guy stands up and says, I got it. I know what we need to do. We need guns. We need ammo. And one man said, we haven't invented those yet. And we need a better idea, a better idea. And one guy raises his hand and says, I got something. Yes, what do you got? Sir, I, I think we should bring the Ark of the Covenant with us into battle. That's my man right there. That's a sharp young man right there. We need to bring the Ark of the Covenant. So the priests, they put the poles in like the poster, They lift it up and they draw the Ark of the Covenant out into battle. And long story short, we're going to look at this story a little bit later on. But long story short, they, they lose that battle. And the Ark of the Covenant gets stolen 
It gets taken away. The Philistines take it. And it stays in there for some time. And eventually it comes back to Israel, to the city of Kirjath-Jerim. And that's where it's been for the last 20 years, just there. David now, knowing the importance of the Ark of the Covenant, God ordained it, he established it, it was created solely for the purpose, uh, well, there's different reasons it was created, we're going to look at those, but it, wherever the Ark of the Covenant went, God's blessings followed it. King Saul, when he became king, he did nothing to try to move the Ark into a more central location. He didn't even consider moving the ark nearer, closer to where he was. It wasn't important to him. But as soon as David became king of Israel, one of the first things he does is this. He wants to move the ark of the covenant into the capital, into Jerusalem. That's where it needs to be. Now, the temple hadn't been built yet, but David knew that God respected, God had the Ark of the Covenant there for a reason, and David wanted to be close to it. In this story, Uzzah touches the Ark, he dies. The Ark, David is distraught, he says, stop the parade, stop the orchestra, stop everything. And living nearby was this family of Obed-Edom. Not much is known about him, except later on you find out he was, in, he was a priest of some kind. Uh, which sect of, preach, of priest, we're not sure. But we know that he was a respectable person and he welcomed the Ark of the Covenant into his home despite what it had just done. They bring the Ark of the Covenant to Obed-Edom's home and there it stays for three months. David at this point had given up. He says, I tried and God did this. And David was not happy with what, with what God had done. But for three months, the Bible says that Obed-Edom's house was blessed. For three months, Obed-Edom experienced the greatest three months of his life because the Ark of the Covenant was in his house. Why is that? Why, why was that so significant? How did the mere presence of the Ark bless Obed-Edom and his family? And as we consider that question today, I want us to consider, first of all, what is the Ark? What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant, and I'm sure many of us have seen pictures of this, and uh, uh, artists re-rendering what the Bible describes it to look like. You see, God made a covenant, a conditional covenant, with the children of Israel through his servant Moses. He promised good to them and their children for generations if they obeyed him and his laws. And he always warned of despair, judgment, and dispersion if they disobeyed. And as a sign of his covenant, he had Israel make a box, according to his own design, in which to place the stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant. So this had been around since the time of Moses. Now we read in Hebrews chapter 9, two more items were actually placed in the Ark of the Covenant, anybody know what those two items were? We had the Ten Commandments. What was that? Aaron's staff. Aaron's staff was in there, and there was something else that was actually placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. There was the Ten Commandments. There was 
Aaron's rod, and there was a third thing. Yes, there was a gold pot that represented the manna that, had, that God had provided them throughout the wilderness. And all three of these had very good, great significance. The Ten Commandments represented, of course, the law, was the law. Aaron's rod, the priesthood, signified his, that Aaron was the original high priest. And, of course, the manna represented God's deliverance through the wilderness. All these were placed inside this Ark of the Covenant. This box or chest, of course, we know was called the Ark. It was made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And I have a first picture for you here of an acacia tree. Uh, is there the other one with the tree? There you go. The acacia tree. We have uh, this nice giraffe there too, by the way. But we could see the size that some of these can grow. Now, some of these acacia trees actually grow much smaller than this. This is a pretty large one here. Some of them could actually just be as small as shrubs. Um, this one obviously is in Africa, but there are, apparently there's acacia trees in Australia. There's of course some in Arabia and uh, Saudi Arabia and those areas there. I've never been there, just what I've been read. But we know there had to have been something around this area because God wanted it specifically of acacia wood. And looking into acacia wood, it's actually used in a lot of, it's used in a lot of uh, uh, furniture that requires durability. A lot of people will actually use acacia wood in furniture that's used outside because this wood doesn't, it's uh, basically doesn't crack, it doesn't mold, it's not affected by the wind, by the weather. It's very durable wood, almost like God knew, right? What kind of, uh, what, what he needed for the Ark of the Covenant. So not only was it created, but then it was also overlaid with gold. An image you're familiar with, or something similar, they're all different, uh, slightly different. I think what most people differ on is exactly how the, the cherubims looked on top, the, the angels. But we do know the Bible says that the angels were kneeling, facing each other, and their wing tips were touching. This is a pretty good picture, I would guess, as to how it looked. There's some hooks on the side, too, where the poles go through. Everything, all the wood here is made of acacia wood, as God had commanded. The poles even were made of that. But everything was overlaid with solid gold. And there was some... Uh, decor and things that on top that were pure golds. And this is a, a close example of what we could see in the Ark of the Covenant. And you could read Exodus 25, the Lord, and the real specifics, the exact cubit and the width and everything and how it was created. More importantly, the spiritual meaning behind the Ark of the Covenant. For the Israelites... The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. The presence of God. Where the Ark of the Covenant was, God followed. It was a sacred, it was really the most sacred object. And it was never meant to be placed outside for people to observe and watch. Because God never wanted people to bow and worship it. It was a sacred object, relic, really, that God had, had Israel create. But it wasn't, it wasn't a representation of God, but it was a representation of the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was kept sacred inside the tabernacle, all the way inside in the, uh, in the Holy of Holies, a place where only the high priest could even visit once a year. 
In the book of Joshua, we learn of the safety the ark provided Israel as they passed over Jordan. Do you remember the story? God had the priest holding the ark, and as they stepped foot inside the river Jordan, the Jordan divided, and Israel was able to cross through the river, sort of like a Red Sea type of thing. Except when Moses crossed the Red Sea, that was a much grander, I would guess, much grander picture to have a sea divided. But still, this, uh, the Jordan River was able to separate and all of Israel was able to pass through, led by the Ark of the Covenant. In the sixth chapter of Joshua, the Ark was instrumental in the Battle of Jericho. God had the priests carry the ark around Jericho once a day. You know the story, for six days. And on the seventh day, they had to walk around the wall seven times. And this was led by the priest and the Ark of the Covenant. And you know the story, as they crossed past that seventh time, they yelled, they screamed, the walls came down, and it was a great day for Israel. But you know what the real significance of the Ark of the Covenant was? It involved the lid of the box, the lid known as the mercy seat. The term mercy seat comes from a Hebrew word that means to cover, to appease, to cleanse, or to cancel, or to make atonement. And it was here that the high priests, once a year, would enter the Holy of Holies where the ark was kept and atone for the sins of Israel. The mercy seat represented a, a covering, a covering over that which was inside, which was the law. The law of God which condemns souls, to, which, which shows us our wrong. It, it's, a, it's a list of things for us not to do, but in reality it shows us things that we've done, how we failed in the sight of God. And that mercy seat represents a covering over our sin. And one day when Jesus Christ would die on the cross for our sins, and he would, he was representing that Ark of the Covenant when he himself would be the ultimate atonement for all of, the, all of the sins of mankind. When he himself would be the covering for our sins. That's that salvation that our choir was just singing about. Jesus saves. He saves us from our sins. This is Jesus. Everything that was done in the Old Testament was just all pointing to the day that Jesus Christ would die on the cross for our sins. The day we could stop sacrificing animals like they did many, years, many thousands of years ago, there's no need for that anymore because Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, died once and for all for all of human sins. Does that mean we're all perfect and all our sins are forgiven so we could live any way we want? Of course not. But now you or I have a chance to meet Christ, to have a relationship with Him. You or I today can get on our knees and say, Lord, I know what you did on that cross, and I believe you. I believe what you did is true and what is real. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and save me. This is the God that we serve. This is Jesus Christ, the mercy seat. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is a special thing, but my question to you is this. Is the Ark with you today? Is the ark with you right now? Does the ark of God reside in your home? Does the presence of God dwell in you?
For Obed-Edom, it was one of the greatest times that ever happened in his life. For those three months, the presence of God was literally, literally right in the middle of his home. I don't know where he put it. If he put it in the living room, I probably would assume he'd put it somewhere a bit safer. But we know that wherever it was, it was where it needed to be, and it was blessing his home. We can just use the pulpit mic if you want. It's too uh, ringing. So the question is, is the presence of God in your life? But this is what I want to get at here. How do we maintain the ark? Because Israel surely didn't know how. There's a story, and I was alluding to it earlier, where literally 50,000 people died because they did not treat the ark of God properly. Now, this sounds like a terrible story, and it absolutely is a terrible story. But when the Israelites, when the Philistines brought the ark into battle and it was stolen from the Philistines, the Philistines stole it, the ark of the covenant was taken back. And there are two different occasions where the ark of the covenant was being treated poorly, in the wrong way. When the Philistines captured the ark, when Israel summoned possession of the ark, following this brutal defeat, they felt the mere possession of the ark would give them favor of God. And of course, they lost it. The Philistines did the unthinkable. Where did they place the Ark of the Covenant? Where did they place it next to? You remember the story? Next to the statue of Dagon. They, they put it next to their God. And... Uh, here we have the one true God being placed underneath, really, the, a fake God, Dagon. Well, the first night, when they woke up the next morning, what happened to Dagon? He fell flat on his face. And the Philistines said, oh, it must have been a gust of wind. So they picked, uh, they picked up their statue, and they put it next, right back next to the real God, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, they woke up the next morning, what happened to Dagon? The statue literally fell, his head was detached, and his arm were detached. And if you read the, the Bible, it literally says the stump was left. The Philistines didn't realize what they had. They didn't realize what the Ark of the Covenant truly was. It wasn't God himself. It wasn't this magical box, but the presence of God was following this box is following this, this ark. It's not something for us to worship or to glean to, but you see, the Philistines wanted to use it as a good luck charm. Yeah, look what we got. We, we defeated Israel. We got their, their golden box. Let's put it here next to our, our, our statue Dagon, our, our real god Dagon. Uh, but that wasn't the proper way to use it. In fact, for the next several months, Philistines were plagued with these boils. The Bible calls them emeralds, and these boils, this sickness is spread across the land because they weren't treating the presence of God properly. So what did they do? They packed it up, they put it on a cart, and they sent it away. Get this thing out of here. We don't want it. It's a bad luck charm for us. So the cart comes back, and it ends up in the land of, uh, uh, um, it ends up in the, Philist in the Israelites' camp, and there, people were so happy to see it. Thousands of people swarmed around the ark and began to touch it and to open it up and to look inside. And this was a direct commandment again. This was a direct violation of what they were supposed to do. They were never supposed to touch it, 
to look inside of it. This was sacred to the Lord. And every person that touched it that day passed away. They all died. Now you can see why the ark stayed there for 20 years. No one wanted to touch this thing. It was evil. Don't touch a bad luck charm. If you look at it too long, if you touch it, if you look inside, you're gone. Probably why Saul wanted nothing to do with it for all those years. If we are to maintain the presence of God in our lives, we must be vessels worthy of his presence and want his presence for the right reasons. Israel and the Philistines were not living holy lives. They were using the ark as a status of power and a sort of a good luck charm. This wasn't what God had intended. But Obed-Edom was kindly entertained and welcomed the idea of bringing the ark into his home. He, knowing the stories, Uzzah, Uzzah just passed away. He knew those thousands of Israelites had died from it. He knew what it did to the entire nation of the Philistine army, but Obed-Edom still wanted it in his house because he knew, as a Levite, he knew how to take care of it. And he knew that his family was in a position to watch over the presence of God, the ark. Obed-Edom knew what the slaughter of the ark had done, but he still wanted it in his home because the ark needed to be in a place that is holy and righteous. In order for the presence of God to dwell within us, we have to be able to house the presence of God. So my next question to you is, how is your vessel? Are you able to have the presence of God in your life? We think if we go to church, if we be good and we do good things, that that's good enough for God to be happy with us. But the Bible says that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Doing good things is good, but it's not good enough. The presence of God requires holiness. So many Christians today, we walk around, we live our lives without the presence of God in our life. And I, I hope and pray it's not true, but I, I fear there's lots of people in churches who minister who have Sunday school classes and who minister to here and to there, maybe even preachers that stand up without the presence and the power of God in our life. We know how to write lessons and sermons. We know how to put a smile on our face and we know how to do the duties that we're required to do, but we can do those things without God's power, without his presence in our life. And my question to you today is, do you have the ark in your life? Is the ark of God in your home? Because... You're going to want it in your home because Obed-Edom did not want it to leave his home. Because in verse 10, David would not remove the ark. This is 2 Samuel 6.10. He would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord continued in his house three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household for three months. Now, there's a, a famous historian, Josephus by name, and he writes, uh, he comments on this verse here, and according to him, he said that Obed-Edom was known to have been a very poor man before obtaining the presence of the ark. And he was considered a man of, of low condition, out of which he quickly emerged and came into affluent circumstances so as to be taken notice of by his neighbors and, rep and reported abroad, by which means David came to the hearing of it. 
as follows. And interesting here, Obed-Edom, whatever, the Bible says he was blessed. And whatever exactly that meant here, all we know is that there was a change in his family's life. Over those three months, it got to a point where word started to pass down all the way to the king that, hey, King David, Obed-Edom, like, something's happening down there. I don't, know, I don't know what it is, but, I mean, according to what, what I've been studying, what I could read, it would seem as if things like his livestock started to grow. Maybe he, maybe he had a harvest, and his harvest was just abundant, and his estate began to grow. Whatever it was, something was happening to him, and it was making a huge difference, and his neighbors were looking over and saying, wow, he, something's good's happened over there. Maybe the, before you know it, more cattle, more sheep started happening. Things just started to go his way, and Obed-Edom was being blessed beyond, his, uh, beyond measure. It made it all the way to David, and David said, okay, we're going to do this again. We've got to get the ark back into the capital. We need the ark of God there. What are the benefits of having the presence of God in your life? Well, Obed's, Obed-Edom was blessed. Now, there's a, a type of gospel going out there called prosperity gospel, and that's not what I'm about to preach to you today. There's some famous uh, televangelists that will tell you things like, if you, if you are a true believer in God, then God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be healthy. And if you're not wealthy or healthy, then that means there's, there's sin in your life. There's things wrong. You need to get your place, you need to get your place in your life where you are pure and holy in the sight of God, then God will begin to pour His wealth and pour His health on your life. And they teach this prosperity gospel. And that's nowhere in the Bible. Because there's a lot of people in the Bible that served God fully and didn't have anything. Didn't have any money. Are you telling me that someone like the Apostle Paul wasn't in, in right with the Lord? There are, of course, they have different ways of explaining this, but essentially that's not what I'm trying to teach you here today. Because God's blessings don't just come in the form of money. They don't just come in the form of a big boat. They don't just come in the form of golf clubs and, and all, all, the, all, the, all the equipment that we could possibly ask for and the, the largest house and a very healthy body. That's not always how God forms His blessings. God forms His blessings oftentimes by one of the greatest things that humans look for. There's one thing that humanity is constantly striving to obtain, to, to get, to capture. And they, they try to get this one item through money. They try to get it through a, a career, through a, a spouse. They try to get it through this entertainment and this entertainment, and they fall short. There's one thing that people are in search of, and that's happiness. They want to be happy. Amen. When you have the presence of God in your life, you may not have the best house on the street. You may not even have a house you own, which is pretty common these days. But a family that has the blessing of God in their life is a family that's happy. And isn't that all we want in life is to be happy? Joy in serving Jesus. Joy in the life that God has given us to live. To be happy. The ark, the, the ark was in Obed-Edom's house. He was blessed. The Bible says that his family was blessed. 
And later on in the next chapter, we actually find there's 70 relatives of Obed-Edom. I don't know if they were all living around the ark. They were probably living all around, but they were all blessed. And even after David took the ark from Obed-Edom's home, which I'm sure is a sad day for him, but as he took the ark, God, uh, David allowed Obed-Edom to actually help be the one to, to, to oversee the ark being transported to the tabernacle, to the tabernacle and, excuse me, and in Chronicles, First Chronicles, we read that Obed-Edom was, and his family was actually put in charge of the gatekeeping of the tabernacle. The Bible calls it they were the porters. All 70 of them, they were in charge now of making sure that just not anybody, but just Levites were able to enter. They were gatekeepers for the Ark of the Covenant, for the tabernacle. Now, they were just lowly Levites, and now, because they allow the presence of God in their life, now they get to spend their whole life around it. Their whole life guarding it and protecting it. God continued to bless. And if I could just end with this. God's blessings often come in the greatest form of all, which is happiness. And there is no greater place to be than in the presence of God. Are you in God's presence today? Is God present at your home? What needs to leave your life in order to have God come in? As we prepare our hearts for communion at this time, I'd like us to consider these questions today. Because communion is a time where we search ourselves, and we search our hearts, and we gain ourselves closer to Him. And let us now as we prepare for communion time, consider today where our hearts are at right now. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.